it's that time of year where we got to talk about football coaches getting fired on their day off. Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up, kinfolk? It's RJ Young. I am not on a step mill. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today on the show, we got to talk about what is going on at Michigan as they continue to throttle people. We got to take a look at some really interesting choices made by Associated Press voters following what was a really cool Saturday of football. And we got to talk about what the College Football Playoff Selection Committee might do on Tuesday when we're back here live after the rankings are revealed to talk about what they actually do. But first, we got to talk about news that dropped earlier on Sunday afternoon that USC defensive coordinator Alex Grinch has been fired on his day off. Now, if you are an SC fan, this is probably something that you knew was going to come down the line. Dare I say you're elated by this news. If you're an Oklahoma fan and you've been following USC as closely as you have, you don't have to tell nobody to the lie that you ain't because you are because I have been and I've been there the whole time. You probably saw this coming too because the thing about USC going into the season was they're supposed to be contending for a college football playoff spot, let alone the Pac-12 title. With their third loss and their second in the conference, they are a far cry from playing in the Pac-12 title game. However, they got Oregon coming up this weekend, and if they should pull the rabbit out of a hat, do that trick that we all would like to see somebody do and beat Oregon, right, except Oregon fans or even Washington fans at this point, it's probably not going to happen, okay? Now, it ain't got nothing to do with Lincoln Riley's offense, except it kind of does, but let's start with this. Grinch is out as USC DC, which means that Line coach Sean Nua and inside linebacker coach and associate head coach for defense Brian Odom, Oklahoma native, they're going to take over as the interim DCs with uh, Taylor Mays being elevated to an on-the-field place when Taylor Mays is that good from USC. You remember that safety that was absolutely awesome. It's going to be coaching the safeties, right, because Grinch coached the safeties. So a lot of moving and changing as, well, USC is going to try to finish the season this way. And then Riley's probably going to start looking for defensive coordinators if he hasn't already. But we got to talk about the reasons as to why we got here. It's not just that USC and Alex Grinch gave up 52 points to Washington last night in a loss in a game where the offense scored 42. It's that USC gave up 256 rush yards on 26 rushes to Dylan Johnson. The reason that is a problem is Dylan Johnson had not rushed for more than 100 guards in a game in his career. And those 100 yards came in the win against Oregon. Outside of that, the run game at Washington has kind of been like a hood ornament. It looks nice every now and again. You might win an award with it if you're looking around. But for the most part, it's been Michael Penix, Romo Dunzi, Jalen McMillan, and the like who have been carrying that offense. So to see a guy like Dylan Johnson go off against that defense that is predicated on getting tackles for loss, that means stopping people with the ball in the backfield, and takeaways, that's just a bridge too far for many. In the process, Washington gave up 316 rush yards. Excuse me. USC gave up 316 rush yards to Washington. And I'm looking at this and I'm going, all right, that's one game. And Dylan Johnson didn't do anything to stop Grinch getting fired before he could steal USC's Christmas. However, the Pac-12 and Notre Dame had a hand 
in making this so because USC has allowed point totals of 41 to Colorado, who is now four and five, 41 to Arizona, who's six and three with two ranked wins. Hello, 48 to Notre Dame, which was great until they lost to Clemson, who's five and four now, and 34 to Utah, 49 to Cal, and then those 52 to Washington in a game that, frankly, USC could have won. Caleb Williams played to the caliber that he's capable passing for over 300 yards. I mean, still put the ball on the floor, but you kind of know that's what he's going to do because he's running around there making things happen. He didn't lose them that game, even as it was emotional for him afterwards. And far be it for me to talk about somebody being emotional after the end of a game because I'm an emotional person. Matter of fact, you might say that I got to this chair by being emotionally invested in the content that I make. And he is certainly emotionally invested in the content he makes as quarterback rock star extraordinaire at USC. But the thing that I think most USC fans will point to is RJ. There are 133 FBS teams. I know, my dude. Why are we 124th in scoring defense? That's tough. Getting up 34 and a half points per game. It's tough to win football games that way because I had told SC fans, yeah, you got Lincoln Riley. And yeah, you got a generational quarterback, a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. But take it from an Oklahoma fan that had Lincoln Riley for years. You're not worried about scoring 42, which is their average at USC, by the way. You're worried about getting scored on for 45, for 46, for 48. It ain't beating people 52 to 49 that makes you feel good about being a football fan at night, especially when you go up against the buzzsaw called LSU that puts 63 up on your skull, and Justin Jefferson announces that he is one of the two best wide receivers in the entire world over your dead body as you got Jalen Hurts at quarterback. That is how USC fans feel right now. So on the one hand, you're like, cool, finally, Grinch is out. I don't know, dog. Lincoln Riley still got a higher defensive coordinator. What do you mean, RJ? Why are you always poo-pooing this higher? I'm not. I'm really not. I'm only pointing out these facts. The facts are Lincoln Riley was late to fire Mike Stoops at Oklahoma. Okay? He ended up with Ruffin McNeil, his mentor and a great man, as coordinator, but not the guy that was going to be the long-term dude. Okay? Then he goes... And he hires a defensive coordinator that he thought could pair well with his offense. Remember how I said the offense might not be, you know, the only thing that is going well, but also might be the thing that's holding you back. He hired Alex Grinch because he had already coordinated defense for Mike Leach at Washington State. Somebody that you could pair with an air raid style of offense. Now, Riley runs a pro raid where they're going to run the ball really, really well. And they're also going to throw the ball really, really well. But the nature of the offense is one that he thought he needed to pair with one that takes the ball away on defense, right? So if your defense can take a ball away and stop people with tackles for loss, you get the ball back in a hurry, you score in a hurry, right? So the defense is not supposed to be out there for very long. That's why they called it a speed D. And Grant had told everybody what the plan was. We want long, rangy guys at linebacker and safety. You can't get longer or rangier than Eric Gentry at middle linebacker. Kalen Bullock is an all-American caliber safety. I know that Damani Jackson would get picked on last night, but that dude could play too, okay? You also had Solomon Bird and Bear Alexander on the defensive line. So I don't want to hear any of this. They didn't have the recruits that they needed. Number one, the transfer portal exists, and Riley's really good at going in there to get what he wants. Number two, everybody looks at that defense and sees the personnel. But shout out to my Sports Journalism Institute classmate and USC reporter for the Athletic, Antonio Morales, who had a really great anecdote in his column following the loss to Washington last night, where he noticed that Alex Grinch had brought the defense together on a pivotal, pivotal, say that word one more time, pivotal 
CRJ, you can say it, drive to stop Washington. And he had tried to do the thing that coaches do where they raise a fist in the air and try to break it down. But there was not really a whole lot of energy in the breaking down and the going out onto the field. And then they promptly go get scored on. That might have been the moment when Alex Grinch learned, like we all learned, that the defense was no longer interested in what he had to say. And he'd lost the unit. It's really difficult to coach from there, right? Read a story about NFL, former NFL head coach Josh McDaniels basically doing the same thing for the Las Vegas Raiders. If the guys that are playing the, the sport for you don't believe in you as a leader, it's time for you to go, right? And Riley did not want to, he did not want to fire his boy, his homeboy. You know what I mean? You know, like that's his homie. He brought him with him to SC. He stuck with him after last year when everybody's going, hey, you're giving up 46 to Tulane, my guy. You give it up 47 to a Utah team that ain't supposed to be doing that to you. And he's like, I don't feel bad about this. I think Alex Grinch is the guy. And Riley has been slow to pull the trigger on firing his defense coordinator because he also usually means you got to let go of a lot of other people. And I will applaud Riley for this part. Dude's got families. And I know that they get paid a lot of money, but nobody likes to lose their job. And nobody likes to be the person telling other people they got to take a walk. Okay. Now, that said, Alex Grinch is probably going to find another post somewhere else. And if he doesn't, he's being well compensated for that. Now, in the interim, what are you going to do if you're USC with Oregon coming? I don't know, dog. Like, that's the most efficient offense you're going to see all year. They score, and they score a bunch. They do not waste possessions. They got two tailbacks that can hurt you. They got a Bo Nix that is playing at Heisman caliber. They got a Belinnikoff Award finalist. Maybe a winner, depending on how things go in Troy Franklin. And Tosh Lapoy and Dan Lenny have those dudes playing lights out on defense. As a matter of fact, we're doing the thing where we say Oregon looks like the best team in the Pac-12, even though Washington beat them. And Washington, rightfully, we want to thumb their nose at everybody going, we beat them, and I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But this is not the kind of Oregon team that you want to be playing right now if you're USC with a different defensive play caller. Or maybe it is, right? Maybe you get a spark. Maybe Brian Odom knows something that Alex Grinch doesn't. But seeing as... Alex Grinch hired Brian Odom at Oklahoma. I don't know. Kind of feels like they might be doing the same thing. So maybe it's just as simple as Riley's going to go try to find somebody else that might do what Grinch does, but does it differently. I don't know, right? It'll be interesting to see what he does from that. But this is not a good look for USC fans, except to say USC's got three losses. And those three losses are all to teams that are in the top 25. One of those teams is undefeated. Another one of those teams, was looking like they were going to play for a Pac-12 title, Utah. It still might, right? And another one's to use is well, it's, it's Notre Dame, right? And we could, I can continue to dunk on Notre Dame. I don't want to, but after the Clemson thing, I kind of don't have a choice. That said, if you beat Oregon, the tenor of this conversation changes if you're SC. Full stop. So if you can go get a win on Saturday because you got the Heisman winner at quarterback, go do that, and then go win your city title. You know what I'm saying? Put off for South Central against UCLA as y'all both get ready to go to Big Ten because that's also in the offing, right? I'm wondering, SC fans, is it cool that you go win, say, at worst seven games this year and you come back next year and you might have a guy that doesn't lead you to a Pac-12 or even Big Ten championship in the near future but also keeps out of trouble, has a fun offense, wins you a couple individual honors like Heisman Trophy? I don't know. It's a question for you to answer. I myself, I like winning 10 games a year. I like having a Heisman winner at quarterback. I would love to win a national championship, but I don't want to sacrifice the opportunity to win 10 games so that we might have a national title experience. You might, you know, you might 
feel differently about having a high floor. I've always built for a high floor because going after a high ceiling means that you're going to be in the gutter for a while. And I know SC fans, you just got done with the Clay Helton experience and y'all fair weather as it is. So I can't get y'all to go fill up the Coliseum unless that team is contending for a national championship. I understand y'all put a tarp on that thing for 15 years, but I would also point out it's been 15 years since y'all were competing for a national championship. So I'm going to just keep calling you fair weather until you fill up the Coliseum. Act like a blue blood in the sport that I love. Now, let's go from talking about USC and the news of the day to news earlier in the day, the top 25 rankings. The Associated Press poll released its, I did mine late on or early Sunday morning, late Saturday night. And for the most part, you know, it's the same differences. I still got Michigan at number one. They got Georgia at number one. Tomato, tomato right now, right? Because Georgia, while it has a really impressive win against a ranked Missouri team without its best player, and frankly, without its best defensive player in the fourth quarter, Michigan has done everything that I ask a national championship contender to do, which is throttle teams that do not have numbers next to their names. Now that's going to change on Saturday. So everybody's going to get to see what Michigan looks like playing against a really good football team. This time it's called Penn State, right? I still got Ohio State at number three. They got Ohio State at number three. And really, I don't have a problem with much anything else going on until we get into the 20s. But I'm just going to point out, I put Washington at number four. They put Florida State at number four. I think Washington has a better resume than Florida State. I mean, to walk this out, Washington is the only team to beat an Oregon team that people believe is the best one loss team we have in the sport. Okay, that's one. Then they beat a top 25 USC team on the road. What has Florida State done? Florida State beat Duke without Riley Leonard. And when Riley Leonard was in the game, they were down 20 to 17 at home. That's not a good look. Okay. Oh, yeah. They beat LSU. You mean the same LSU that got beat by 14 by Bama and the same Bama that lost at home to Texas. This is not that hard for me. Washington has the better resume. I don't care much about what you're doing outside of that. Jordan Travis playing at a Heisman level. He had an opportunity to prove it as long as they keep beating up on the crap teams that are left on their schedule. And that's what they are. There are no ranked opponents left. We're talking about Florida State probably playing Louisville in the ACC title game, and maybe walking into the playoff, but not over an undefeated Washington. Because Washington's road through the Pac-12 is much harder than Florida State's road through the ACC. And of course, Ohio State or Michigan are going to have to lose, right? One of those teams. So we end up, we could end up with both Florida State and Washington in the college football playoff. And that's the reason why I'm just flipping them right now, because I just think Washington has put together a better resume so far. I'm fine with everybody where they are for the most part until we get to number 14, Tennessee, for the Associated Press. Okay, a couple things here. Tennessee beat UConn. UConn ain't nobody. UConn ain't nobody. Tennessee has lost to Alabama and a Florida team that we don't know. I don't think they're that good, and they haven't looked that good, and they should not have beaten Tennessee, but they did. That's a bad loss for Tennessee, and it's one that I hold a grudge on. I see Oklahoma State behind them in their rankings. I'm going, wait a second, timeout, hold up. Oklahoma State beat up a top 10 ranked Oklahoma. And you respond by ranking Oklahoma State behind a team that beat up on Tennessee but lost to Florida. Or excuse me, beat up on UConn but lost to Florida. I don't like this. 
If anything, I'm looking at going, y'all don't like Oklahoma that much? Because that was an impressive win for Oklahoma State against Oklahoma in air quotes final bedlam, right? I don't I don't get this part. But more than that, the thing that really gets under my skin is seeing UNC at number 24 here. Now, I have ranked USC as a top 25 team. I put them at 25. And I left out UNC because that was where I was at the end of the night. The reason I did this is UNC beat FCS Campbell. But before that, they lost to Virginia and Georgia Tech in back-to-back weeks. USC, for all of its faults, has three losses, and all three losses are against top 25 teams, good football teams. Virginia and Georgia Tech are not good football teams, and you're ranking UNC after they beat up on an FCS opponent. This is exactly why I lose my mind about the AP rankings. This right here. This is one of the reasons I wanted to do this show right now is I would wake up, look at the Tulsa world, see this and go, what is it that y'all are watching? And I still don't have a good answer for that. So that's how I end up with USC at 25. And I'm not going to put Liberty in there because who is Liberty beating? I mean, they're undefeated, but undefeated against who? I don't, that's not a real schedule. Like with that, that schedule they play in, cool, go, go run through Conference USA. Conference USA champion ain't going to beat whoever it is that's in the top 10 Top 15, top 20, I would take UNC before I put Liberty there. But that's just me, right? So I got Arizona in there, and Arizona should be there, right? Two ranked wins. And I'm glad to see that the AP thought the same here. I don't have a problem with Oklahoma at 17 here. I got them at 15. There's a little bit of moving and shaking here. And we could really talk about some other teams like Liberty. But other thing that I point out here is I got Iowa. That's a top 25 program, and they do not. I think that the same people that don't like USC being crappy on defense don't like Iowa being crappy on offense. Matter of fact, you could say that Iowa is anti-USC or you could say that USC is anti-Iowa. Even so, Iowa is a two-loss team atop the Big Ten West. Do you know that we are this close to once again watching Kirk Ferentz waltz into the Big Ten championship game because that defense and those special teams are so good? All you've been asking for is a quarterback who is something like good, not great, not 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 really good, just something like good so that you don't get in the defense's way. And yet and still, even as he has been forced to demote his son at offensive coordinator, they respond by going to get a win in the nastiest 10-7 victory against Northwestern. I had so much fun with that. I love that sort of game because it's like hands on a hard body. But for football fans, for those of y'all that don't know, hands on a hard body is a documentary set in Longview, Texas, where they were giving a truck away to somebody that could leave their hand attached to the truck for the longest. So people would sit there sweating it out, not eating, not going anywhere, trying to win this truck. It's it's real riveting to watch, but it is excruciating if you are a part of either one of those teams watching your family go through this. And that's how Iowa had to feel playing Northwestern and vice versa. But we're also talking about an Iowa team that should be a one-loss team. Okay. Cooper DeGene doesn't throw his hand in the air, still runs that playback. We're talking about them beating Minnesota, okay? I don't understand how you could look at Iowa and not make them a top 25 team or look at Iowa and say Liberty could beat them because that's what the rankings are for, right? The rankings are, did you win? Who did you beat? And how did you beat them, okay? I think that if you beat somebody in a head-to-head and you have the same record, you should be ranked ahead of them. I don't believe in this, well, it's a different football team now. Nah, it's the same dudes, same dudes. And if you are, thinking that you should be doing something like that. Say, look at Texas, who's at number seven. Number seven with Malik Murphy at quarterback or number seven with Quinn Ewers at quarterback? Because if Quinn Ewers comes back and Texas isn't a top four team, I'm going Yankee chain. 
because I can't stand the hypocrisy here. You can't move the goalposts on the kids like this. For years, I did a show where I wanted to talk about teams like Liberty being undefeated, getting an opportunity to get the same beat down the college football playoff that Oklahoma got against LSU. But that ain't what the sport is. Producer Cat would tell me, RJ, you got to talk about the sport as it is, not as you want it to be. But I do not have to stand for this hypocrisy right here. You're not going to tell me that somebody's worse after they beat someone in a head-to-head with the same record. Because that's gaslighting, and we don't do that in college football. Or at least I don't. All right, let me get off of the AP's top 25 and my top 25 and talk a little bit about, well, the team I got ranked at number one, the Michigan Wolverines. Okay, so we haven't done a whole lot of talking about what has been going on around the University of Michigan football off the football field. Because frankly, we haven't had room in the show to do that. We talk about games here. We talk about what's going on on the field and how it's going to affect the rankings when they come out for the college football playoff. And we build the show toward talking about who's going to win a national championship. However, when you have something like what has occurred in Michigan, you got to make time. And this is the moment where we make time. So I'm going to take you back to last Wednesday when ESPN reported a 90-minute phone call or teleconference, Zoom call, had been had with Big Ten Commissioner Tony Petiti, where the vast majority of Big Ten coaches wanted to know what the Big Ten was going to do about what it believes Michigan has done, which is allegedly cheat, right? Sign stealing. I said it. They got caught cheating. Okay. We got mountains of evidence that saying that they did. And what I've also said is we're going to have to see if the Big Ten or the NCAA does something about this in the short term, because NCAA investigators are also in Ann Arbor gathering information, trying to figure out what happened, how it happened, and what punishment should be. Meanwhile, the Big Ten does have an apparatus that they could use to do something. Now, according to ESPN, they could lean on their unsportsmanlike conduct policy and Tony Petiti could do something. But what and how? I mean, also against due process, I don't think that's going to happen, right? But I think it is worth really examining what Michigan is alleged to do and who is alleged to have done it. Okay, so they broke the in-person opponent scouting and using electronic equipment rule set by the NCAA to sign steal. This sign stealing was led by Connor Stallions, who is associate was associated with Michigan in some capacity that did not have to do with wearing a headset, but certainly had to do with standing next to, say, Jesse Minter, telling people whether or not it was run or pass. He has since resigned his post on Friday, but we got also evidence that kind of led to that. The NCAA has been investigating them basically since October, the second week of October, October 19th. We got a former D3 coach who also told ESPN he was paid by Stallions to video games at multiple Big Ten schools. We got Stallions purchasing tickets to games at 12 of 13 Big Ten opponents and tickets to more than 35 games and at least 17 stadiums over the last three years. And we got Michigan going 33-3 and in the time frame for which Connor Stallions has purchased these tickets. Before that, we have Michigan going 22-11. and Big Ten play, they were also pretty good, right? They are awesome. We're talking about them going basically, excuse me, 22 and one in Big Ten play since the alleged sign stealing. We got them going 21 and 11 overall and 16 and eight in Big Ten play before that. 
that's the statistic that I would be most worried about if I was Michigan. It's, yeah, you have certainly had an advantage here because we got wins and losses to show for it. Now, on the football field, at least in the last few games where there has not been a Connor Stallions, Michigan has done nothing but throttle the teams it plays, right? And we got Ryan Walters who went on record going, we want to see something done. But he also went on record the week that Purdue had to play Michigan. And I kept watching that game it was 20 to six for the whole longest time. And then Michigan just decided to open up a gap, right? And I got to see J.J. McCarthy kind of sort of play in the fourth quarter. That's the other reason why this is a big deal. Michigan is fresh, right? Michigan is not really been challenged, so they get to go sit down guys that otherwise would have had miles on them, like, say, Blake Corm or Donovan Edwards, right, or Tyler Moore, or even J.J. McCarthy, to say nothing of that defense that has been outstanding, right? That's another way in which you could see this as a competitive advantage. I don't think we're really arguing about that. What we are trying to suss out is why it is unlikely for the NCAA to, say, come up with something to do about Michigan because their process usually takes about four to seven months for them to just gather the information that they need and then probably another four months to try to figure out through its judicial process such that it is what they can do. Now, other problem that the NCAA has is they don't have any subpoena power, which means if you get up to their door, or excuse me, if the NCAA knocked on the proverbial door that is Michigan and Michigan wanted to say go away, there's nothing the NCAA could do about it. Now, you also want to be considered a good actor among NCAA membership, and this is going to ring out for others. People might not want to, you know, do business with you, associate with you, and that's pretty much where Big Ten coaches are now. But what I thought was really kind of fun and interesting about all of this is Dan Wetzel at Yahoo Sports had a report, or excuse me, he reported about what was going on with Connor Stallions. But we had... <laughs> We had Go Blue telling us, hey, we think that at the bottom of this might have been initiated by private investigators that were hired by private citizens, which is another way of saying boosters will do booster stuff whenever you ask them because they look at a team like Michigan, who was awesome last year and awesome the year before that, and say they must be cheating. What I find funny about this is they were kind of right this time, <laughs> and that's where we are. So now that we know what they are accused of, and how difficult it is to suss out anything, say, before the college football playoff, what does it mean for the college football playoff? Now, they are eligible to play in the national championship game because nothing has happened to them. There's been no ruling against Michigan. And Bill Hancock, who runs college football playoff, has said as much. What I find interesting about this is that James Madison, who is undefeated and I think should be a top 25 team, is not. Why? because they are not eligible to play in a bowl game because Charlie Baker would not allow for them to get an exemption to play in a bowl game this year. So because they're ineligible to play in a bowl game, the college football playoff selection committee cannot rank them. That's how wild the sport is right now. So we got to moving and shaking that we have to do. We have to get this sport into 2023, let alone 2024. Now, I think there's a way for us to ensure that something like stealing signs never happens at this magnitude ever again in the sport of college football. You want to hear? Want to hear what it is? Want to hear what it is? It is a solution that the NFL has adopted for 30 years. It's called putting a headset in one player's ear on either side of the ball so that you can just verbally communicate what the play call is. And so you don't have to hold up signs a Big Mouth or Daenerys Targaryen or Snoop to communicate what you think the play should be. 
it's wild to me that college football has not implemented headset to helmet one-way communication because it's been there for 30 damn years. Now, would you think that it's because, well, they can't get into college? Far from it. So your boy looking at this going, all right, let's say you want to do something about this right now if you're the Big Ten. Can you outfit everybody with one-way communication? So I called up the owner of CoachCom, who services 120 of 133 FBS teams with the headsets that coaches wear on the sidelines. And I said, did you guys come up with some technology that could mirror something like what the NFL has done? It's like, not only have we done it, RJ, we did it in the Bayou Classic in 2021. The technology is called Player X. So Southern and Gramlin got to communicate to their quarterbacks and defensive play caller on either side of the ball without signals. And I said, did you get any hitches in the technology? Does anybody report that it didn't go well? No. It worked as it should. And I love I love Mr. Amos because he's old school. He's from Auburn, Alabama. And he would tell me, RJ, you know what you coaches don't like? The friction that goes along with technology. So you got to make it point and play. You got to be able to push a button, talk, and have people hear you. That is what we have done. He didn't go into the specifics of how they have done it, just that they can. And these ideas that it voids the warranty and helmets, no, not really, right? This idea that it's too expensive, not really. What you run into here is you have teams that want to use this technology. But if there's not an NCAA rule that allows them to, they're going to spend a lot of money on something they can't use. And nobody wants to spend a lot of money on something they can't use. So what are we going to do in the bowl season? Well, for the first time, play, uh, teams that want to use this player X technology, one-way communication between play caller and uh, play caller on the field, will be able to use it in bowl games, not name the college football playoff. So we're going to get to get a wide sample of what this is. Now, even if Tony Petiti just wanted to snap his fingers and say, all right, I want to put one-way communication into all of the teams, it would still take the folks at CoachCom a few weeks to outfit everybody and to get everything set up. So it's not really feasible to get it done in the regular season. But I think the bigger problem here is Michigan is really, really seated to make the college football playoff, where you know, you'll still have to send in signals to your play callers on the field. Now, Texas Christian came up with a way to get around this just by changing their signals. Uh, there were reports that Connor Stallions was even holding a sheet of paper that had their signals on it on the sideline during that game. They sent in demi calls and they worked against Michigan. I think that this is on its way. And I think it should be on its way. I think by 2024, if you play in a power five conference, there's no reason why you can't pony up and buy this technology if you should want to, right? I understand that some other teams and other programs won't be able to afford this, but other teams and other programs can't really afford football. As a matter of fact, I believe there are just 10, excuse me, 10 college institutions that make money from football, but that's not the way we play football. We play football because it is a huge marketing engine for the sport. As a matter of fact, you want to see your ACT go up at your respective institution? Have a winning football team. Try sending your kid to Alabama right now. You will be shocked at what the ACT has to be to get admitted. Nick Saban did that, not the University of Alabama. And you know who's not confused about that? The University of Alabama Regents, all right? If it's important to you to win football games, you will go get this technology. If it's important to you that your signs don't get stolen, and it's important to you that other people don't come to you going, hey, dog, just make harder signs, then you go get this technology. One more, and then we will get off this subject, but I think this is important. I'm a catcher which means that 
I'm used to having to come up with indicators and signals that other people can't pick up or at least can't pick up easily. And if you know somebody's good at cracking your signals, you got to go through a million different indicators. And you're probably going to confuse the mule on the hill pitcher who just won't rock and fire when I tell him to rock and fire, who want to shake you off. And now he's shaking off and you got to go through the signals all over again, giving other people opportunities to steal your signals. So every time you see a player go like this on a football field because they didn't get the signal, you're giving somebody else yet another opportunity to steal from you. This is a problem, okay? It's such a problem that in baseball, Houston Astros got the what for and the what how because this is such a big deal. If you're stealing them straight up, nobody's nobody's going to pick a fight with you. But if you're using electronic technology, you put this vast network of people out trying to steal from other people to give you an edge in games, and then you go do this, it's really difficult for people to not just take you seriously, but to believe you're telling the truth and that that ruins any relationship. We have to be able to believe you're being honest and authentic. Otherwise, you are threatening the integrity of the game. And there is nothing more important than the integrity of the game. All right. Let's talk about number 16, Oregon State. Holding off Colorado 26-19 to 19 late on Saturday night. Now, this game was already going to be interesting because, well, Coach Prime's team is interesting. But... Coach Prime made it more interesting when news surfaced that Pat Shermer would be calling plays for the offense and that Sean Lewis would be demoted from his play calling duties. Now, we all wanted to hear what Prime was going to say about this, but I thought the thing that he didn't say was more important than what happened on the football field. Now, he wanted to start by saying that he didn't want to demean Sean Lewis, to which I'm going, well, we we didn't demean Sean Lewis. That's something you did by demoting him. That's that's what you did. He's saying, I don't really want to go into why I made the decision that I did, except to say, I don't regret it. And let's just trust the process to which the rest of us who only have the football on the field to go by will look at Sean Lewis and say, he ain't the problem. There are a lot of problems with Colorado right now, chiefly that they're four and five. But Sean Lewis and that offense was the reason why I and others thought they were going to be good at the start of the season. And frankly, they were because that offense could score. And the reason it could score is they're running his offense and they were running it well. Now, the other part about this that is frustrating to those of us that watch Colorado play football is we are invested in the program. We would like to know what is going on in the program and we would like to know why it's Stewart is making the decisions that it is. Now, when you were telling everybody that you got tinted windows around your house and you don't want to let nobody see everything that goes on, well, then you are going to leave us to draw our own conclusions about what is going on in that house. So if you got barbecue Becky outside, she might be calling the cops. You got somebody else outside, they just might want to know, hey, dog, do y'all need anything? Y'all need some help? Can I help you? And you just like, I don't want to talk to nobody. Then it really is on your shoulders to go clean up whatever the mess is. Now, did they play better against Oregon State offensively than they had in in weeks past with Pat Shermer calling the plays? Not really. So last week against UCLA, they scored 16 points, put up 242 total yards. It wasn't great. This week against Oregon State, they put up 238 yards and 19 points. Still allowed four sacks. The offense didn't change. You know why the offense didn't change? I don't think it's because the play caller has changed. I think it's because the offensive line is not any good. I think it's because it's Travis Hunter, it's Xavier Weaver, it's Jimmy Horn, it's Shadour Sanders, and then you got to hope and wish. And you know what doesn't win football games? Hoping and wishing. You know what does? Blocking and tackling. And if you can't block those dudes from tackling your dude, you're going to lose football game. 
So all of us are also looking at this going, Sean Lewis left a head coaching gig to be your offensive coordinator. Of all the people on that staff that felt like they were insulated, Sean Lewis would have been to the rest of us that guy. But seeing as there are other things that may or may not be going on inside the program, we are left to our own devices to try to figure out why Prime is making a move like this one. And then when you are not wanting to explain why you made the move and you have a quarterback who also thinks that by asking the question of why do you think Sean Lewis is demoted, that you're setting him up for a headline. Nah, dog, that's like pleading the fifth in court. I mean, you can do it and it's honest, but it's going to leave us to our own devices and we're going to make up a story. And any story that most people make up is probably worse than what's going on. So why don't you just tell them what's going on? Tell them that's four and five. Tell them that you look for a spark, whatever it might be, right? Because people really do want to believe you. But the more you don't talk to people, the less that they think you're hiding from them. And that's not what you want at Colorado right now either, because now we're getting to see what is it like for Colorado and Coach Prime to try to get through what may be a losing season. And I say maybe a losing season because they're that close to it. They are on the cusp of losing four home games in a row. You might not think that's a big deal at Colorado being what Colorado has been in years past, but Colorado has not lost four in a row at home since 2015. And this weekend, they got an Arizona team that is good. Arizona is six and three with two ranked wins. Arizona put up 41 on SC. Arizona beat the same UCLA team that gave Colorado fits just last night. Jed Fish has those dudes rolling, and they are rolling right into Boulder. So something better get fixed in a hurry, or it's not going to be four and five. It's going to be four and six. And then we really are going to ask, okay, can you get the offensive lineman that you think you need to be great next year? And you got to deal with that for another nine months. So a lot of things going on in the sport, both on and off the field. We will continue to talk about those things on Tuesday night right here on the number one college football show where we will be live as soon as the top 25 rankings are revealed for the college football playoff selection committee. All right, that is going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. Our number one college football show leads of screening are Jack Coakley and Torrin Westfall. They make us better in the film room. Social producer Javion Duncan makes sure the recruits and the rivals see the cake we bake. Josh Burrow is sending in the signal. Senior producer Catherine Cordaggi sees the entire field from the booth. Lead producer Tyler Wojak calls to play on the field. But today, production assistant Kiara Santana had the play card. And man, we went smooth. All right. We will see y'all on Tuesday. Until then, stay low. Keep those feet driving. Doses.